This is Anne Marie Lewis, and you are listening to We Are Rivers, a podcast series brought to you by American Rivers. In this episode of We Are Rivers, we are going to immerse ourselves in understanding how the impacts of climate change are affecting Earth's ecosystems. While the topic isn't exactly rivers, it is river-related. Climate change is intimately connected not just to the health of our rivers, but to the health of every single natural process and ecosystem in the world. In our series next podcast, we will delve into the science of how climate change is impacting the American Southwest's waterways. But first, we want to make sure we're all on the same page in how we understand climate change. This piece's goal is to explain broad-based knowledge about climate change with scientific explanations, as well as address some of the questions those who aren't yet completely on board with the idea of climate change may have. From the concepts and questions we'll cover in this episode, you will gain knowledge and insight that will help you communicate in climate change discussions with a broad-based and diverse set of people. Climate change is having tangible impacts today on our rivers, landscapes, and societies around the world. So let's dive in so that we can truly understand the science behind these claims. It is one thing to know that climate change is happening, but it's a whole other thing to be able to understand and eloquently communicate the complicated science of it. And this is exactly what Brad Udall does. Brad Udall is a senior water and climate research scientist, and as the Colorado River Research Group puts it, quote, Brad Udall has an extensive background in water and climate policy issues, including as director of the Western Water Assessment of University of Colorado, as the first director of the Getchies Wilkinson Center for Natural Resources, Energy, and the Environment, and currently as the first senior water and climate research scientist and scholar at the Colorado Water Institute. He has written extensively on the impacts of climate change on water resources in the American West, and he is the lead author of the Water Sector Chapter of the Global Climate Change Impacts in the United States of 2009, a publication of the United States Global Change Research Program. Brad's workdays consist of research and writing, reviewing articles, press conferences, webinars, committee meetings, talks, and his creation of online courses about climate change myths and climate change impacts on agriculture and the water cycle. And before Brad and I launched into the interview, he remarked on the beauty of scientific study in that we as human beings are constantly challenging ourselves to understand the world more clearly. And with this pursuit comes well-needed revisions of past practices. But our conversation then took a slightly darker turn as we lamented on the snail-paced rate at which societies are addressing the threat that greenhouse gas emissions pose to us. We've known about the greenhouse gas effect for over 200 years. We know if we add to the concentration of greenhouse gases, it will get warmer. And in fact, we've seen this in paleoclimate not due to human action, but just due to natural cycles. We know if you double greenhouse gases, it's going to get about three Celsius warmer than pre-industrial conditions. Nitrous oxide, carbon dioxide, and methane are all common greenhouse gases, meaning that they trap 
outgoing heat in the Earth's atmosphere. And humans have increased these atmospheric gases by a factor of 20%, 40%, and 150% compared to pre-industrial levels. As a result, we have seen average global temperatures increase by almost 1 degree Celsius. It is virtually impossible to deny that climate change is happening, but many people are still arguing that it isn't human-caused. And this is a rational argument when you consider how a lot of people have grown up seeing environmental conditions a lot worse than they currently are in the United States. The Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, was created in the 1970s. And before then, people literally saw rivers run black from mining tailings and catch on fire from pollution. It is not so unreasonable to question why the climate is now getting so much worse when the U.S., the world's second greenhouse gas polluter after China, has improved so much in its visible forms of pollution over the last 40 years. Brad addresses this conundrum. Greenhouse gas pollution is very different than other forms of pollution, right? It's caseless, odorless, colorless for the most part. You know, carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, methane, don't look like normal pollutants that were regulated in the 1970s. And it's only been recently, since about 2007, when the Supreme Court ruled that carbon dioxide was in fact a pollutant and the EPA needed to regulate it, that we've even accepted that our existing suite of federal laws apply to this very unique and unusual pollutant. So we understand that comment it's also, frankly, based on ignorance of how these greenhouse gases work, how our climate system works. And frankly, that's really common. I mean, the, the number of people that have had a course just on pure climate is really low. And, and people, for example, don't even understand how the seasons work, let alone something more complex like how greenhouse gases make the planet far warmer than it would otherwise be. So... When our current president makes comments like, quote, we should be focused on magnificently clean and healthy air and not distracted by the expensive hoax that is global warming, end quote, or, quote, the United States right now has among the cleanest climates there are based on all statistics and it's even getting better, because I agree with that. I want the best water, the cleanest water, crystal clean, has to be crystal clean air, end quote. Or, quote, Many other nations, they have not very good air, not very good water, and the sense of pollution and cleanliness, end quote. In all of these quotes, President Trump is referring to pollutants such as smog, soot, and other lung irritants, such as those produced by the coal industry, though he refrains from that direct connection. Yes, we should be proud that the Environmental Protection Agency has accomplished so much to improve visible air and water quality since the late 1900s, especially compared to many other countries. But this isn't what we're talking about when we are talking about greenhouse gases or global climate change. As Philip Bump states in a recent Washington Post article, succinctly summing up, when Trump is, quote, Talking about clean water, he's not expressing concern about carbon dioxide absorption into our oceans. He appears instead to be talking about old-school, 1970s-era pollution, smog and soot and so on. That's also a problem, certainly, and it often stems from the same electricity production that generates carbon dioxide emissions. 
but it's not what we're talking about when we talk about climate change. I've never really heard Trump talk about carbon dioxide as a contributor to climate change, end quote. To be clear, greenhouse gases are gas molecules that allow the sun's light energy to pass through them in the atmosphere. When the sun's light energy then hits our Earth's ground mass, it gets absorbed and then gets re-emitted back into the atmosphere as infrared heat energy. Greenhouse gases then trap this outgoing infrared radiation based on its specific frequency and reflect it back to Earth. Greenhouse gases are necessary in that they reflect heat energy back to Earth, and this keeps our Earth from freezing over. However, a portion of this heat energy needs to radiate back out to outer space so that our planet doesn't continue to heat and excessively heat. This radiative process was in a thermal state of equilibrium with fluctuations naturally taking place over tens of thousands of years until the Industrial Revolution artificially started pumping massive amounts of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. Our climate has quickly been thrown into disarray, and even though we knew what the effects of greenhouse gases were for a very long time, it feels like climate change snuck up on us. In the early 2000s, everybody thought that climate change or global warming was something that was out in the future, that you know, we weren't really experiencing yet. Scientists had predicted it. And yeah, maybe it was a little warmer than it had been in the past, but there were no changes we could see. So flash forward even just, say, 10 years to 2015, and you now have greenhouse warming of about one Celsius relative to pre-industrial conditions. That's really a lot of warming. The last ice age was about five Celsius colder than pre-industrial conditions. So even small temperature changes really get magnified by our climate system. You know, in, in the last decade, I mean, we've seen a whole bunch of extreme events that bring home to us the impacts of climate change. You know, Hurricane Harvey dumped 60 inches of rain over Houston in four days. But just an unfathomable amount of water. The Paradise Fire in California last year in November killed 86 people. It destroyed 2,000 structures, $16 billion worth of damage, by far the most expensive fire that has ever occurred in the United States. In the area in which I study, the river flows, I mean, we've seen declines in the southwest river flows that are unprecedented. We're now setting worldwide heat records that are two or three times as common as cold records. So, I mean, you can, we have tremendous flooding, including just flooding earlier this year in the northern Great Plains that apparently was unprecedented. So, I mean, climate change is here, it's now, it's affecting all of us, and uh, it's not something out in the future that's, that's distant the way we thought maybe in the early 2000s when scientists were making their, their projections. Climate scientists know beyond all reasonable doubt that warming is due to greenhouse gas emissions and that extreme weather events like Hurricane Harvey are a direct result of climate that is shifting because of increased global temperatures. But how exactly do scientists know this? How do they know that it's not the Earth just going through its natural cycles? So there are pronounced changes in the climate system worldwide. 
But there are a whole bunch of other indicators that also tell us that climate change is occurring. So temperatures in the upper atmosphere is measured by weather balloons and satellites have increased. Sea surface temperatures around the world have increased. Also, deep ocean temperatures have increased. Arctic sea ice is way down. Glaciers and ice sheets consistently have lost mass. And we now also have significant amounts of additional water vapor in the atmosphere. All of these indicate a warming planet. And no reasonable scientist doubts that these warming signals are everywhere, they're significant, and that they need some kind of explanation, that they're, they fall well outside of the natural variability we should expect. As you mentioned, one of the common things people talk about is, oh, it must be the sun. Well, we can study the sun intensively, and we have for years, including post uh, roughly 1979 when some of the first satellites went up. And the solar output only varies by about one part in a thousand. It's not nearly enough to explain what's going on here. There are interesting fingerprints also associated with this wiring that can only be due to greenhouse gases. And perhaps the most well-known of these is the fact that the lower atmosphere, the troposphere, is warming, whereas the upper atmosphere, the stratosphere, is cooling. And that's a classic sign of what would happen if you increase greenhouse gases. And it's exactly the opposite or, or different from what you would see if the sun was actually getting warmer. The entire atmosphere would warm up if the sun were getting warmer. But we don't see that. Finally, let me just say, we have a 200-year-old theory uh, that if you add greenhouse gases to the planet, it gets warmer. Um, we have models that allow us to test that. We now have observations that allow us to test that. And, and the models and our observations actually agree exactly with what this theory predicts. So for somebody to come along with another theory and explain what's happening, and, and mind you, lots of people have tried to no avail, it's really unlikely that this will ever happen. And frankly, it's impossible that it happens. We, we know what's going on here. The fingerprints are everywhere, and we frankly need to do something about it. Furthermore, the scientific community that's responsible for official statements regarding climate change is an intergovernmental panel of climate scientists from all over the world with all sorts of different backgrounds. And there is consensus among them that climate change is due to greenhouse gases. The intergovernmental panel on climate change was founded back in 1988 when some of the initial science was being done that indicated we had a greenhouse gas problem. The panel has now issued five different assessment reports, each composed of three different sections, and each authored by several hundred scientists. And they're chosen by their national governments based on their scientific prowess and publishing record and, and reputation. It's quite difficult to be an IPCC scientist. They, they serve voluntarily. They're not paid. Um, oftentimes, they're either university scientists or um, government scientists, occasionally an NGO scientist will be part of the mix, and even sometimes there are industry scientists that are, that are part of the effort. So it's a, it's a broad-based effort to try and deal with international questions about the state of climate, what's happening, what we can do about it, how it's going to impact all of us. Also, the IPCC over the years has just gotten more stringent and, and strident in its 
proclamations that humans are causing it and that we actually have the tools to fix it if we want to. Clearly, there is a diverse body of renowned scientists working together from all over the world who agree that climate change is happening and that it's due to greenhouse gas emissions. Now, let's change gears a little bit and talk about the way in which the Earth warms and how the warming we are seeing today is from the emissions of the 1980s and before. We actually haven't even begun to see the effects of warming from today's emissions. This is a concept called delayed radiative heating. The climate system has this huge thermal mass, a large part of within the ocean. And just like any heating system in your house, once you turn on the heater, it takes a while for it to warm up. In the case of the Earth, the, the delayed heating relative to the greenhouse gas concentrations where we are right now might be about 30 years. So if we stop today, for example, the Earth would continue to heat for another 30 years. The significance of this is that we have to stop emitting now. Because even if we do stop emitting now, the Earth will continue to warm for another 30 years. And it takes over a thousand years for the Earth's natural processes to filter carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. I think the other point I'd probably make is that over that thousand plus years, we, we won't return to where we are right now, right? Some of the losses we're going to experience are irreversible, like loss of biodiversity or species or big ice sheets that form that are now going to melt contribute to sea level rise. Those won't reform in a thousand years. Those take far longer. So while the, there is this natural cleansing that would be in place, it's on the scale that human societies never, ever experienced and, and, and that's an important fact to underline. You know, modern society, you know, is, what, 100 years old or maybe even less. And, you know, 100 years ago, we had a billion people on the planet. We now have 7.5 billion headed to probably 11, around 2100. So the scale of changes, the scale of climate changes is, is enormous relative to what humans have faced in the past. If we were to stop emitting right now, we'd warm about an additional degree Fahrenheit over the next 30 years. But of course, we are not going to stop emitting right now due to the complicated politics of mitigating climate change. But a degree Fahrenheit doesn't sound like that much, right? How could we see such drastic changes in our climate from an additional degree Fahrenheit warming? So a degree Fahrenheit is 50% more than warming than we've already experienced. And if you just sort of think about the kinds of extreme events that we've already seen. So here in Boulder, for example, we had 17 inches of rain, a year's worth of rain in four days in 2013. Those kinds of intense storms will be even more facilitated by a, a additional warming because this atmosphere as it warms up actually holds more moisture. It's now about 5% more, so you know, take 50% of that and call it 8% additional moisture, that water-holding capability of the atmosphere actually operates both ways. It operates both as an atmospheric thirst and a suck for moisture, so bigger, longer droughts. And then it also operates in the reverse sense of getting these very intense downpours that can occur. Certainly, we'd expect to see stronger hurricanes because they're driven in large part by sea surface temperatures. You would also see, you know, along with that additional half degree uh, continued sea level rise, 
So that's another impact. You know, additional fires, the likes of which we've seen in, in recent years, lots more high temperature records, more loss of winter snow, which we can get into and how that affects rivers, earlier runoff. A way that John Holdren once told me that former science advisor, President Obama, said to think about this is it's almost like thinking about your human body temperature, right? Um, a degree, you know, if you have a degree fever, you know it. A degree of half fever, you know it. So we should try to put what appear to be small numbers in a bigger, broader context of just how important these relatively seeming small amounts of warming actually manifest themselves in physical processes. It is also important to keep in mind that a warming Earth doesn't necessarily mean that all regions of the world will initially experience warming. In fact, some may experience cooling and increased snowpack. An example of this are the land masses bordering the North Atlantic due to the changes in what is called thermohaline circulation. At the poles, surface water sinks because it is incredibly cold and very dense due to its high salt concentration. This sinking water draws warmer water from the equator northward and southward. This circulation, called thermohaline circulation, drives the current of the Gulf Stream, which brings warm water northward. If, all of a sudden, thermohaline circulation were to stop, England, New England, Michigan, New York, and other regions of the North Atlantic would freeze over, and the tropics would become hotter. The Day After Tomorrow, a blockbuster film, is based off of the premise of thermohaline circulation, halting, which is a direct result of global climate change, because as the water temperatures rise at the poles, and as freshwater glacial ice melts, which dilutes the salt concentration, polar water sinks slower, and thus thermohaline circulation slows. The effects of this are vast, and not yet completely understood. The point of this side note is that although global warming conjures up an image of everywhere immediately becoming warmer, this isn't exactly the case. The Earth as a whole and its atmosphere will become warmer, but in the effects of this warming, some regions may initially become colder as other regions become desertified. Global warming and global climate change are two different things. Global warming is about the average global temperatures increasing, but that doesn't mean that every place on Earth is warmer during every year or even every season. Global climate change is a result of the Earth's warming. It refers not only to the changes in temperature, but also to the changes to the water cycle, ocean and wind currents, etc. that are the result of a warming Earth. Desertification, as well as cooling, are examples of the effects of an altered climate. The key signature of global climate change, as created by global warming, are increased extreme and strange weather events. This is why Donald Trump's statements such as, quote, Wow, it's snowing in Israel and on the pyramids in Egypt. Are we still wasting billions on the global warming con? Make U.S. competitive, end quote. And, quote, it's really cold outside. They're calling it a major freeze, weeks ahead of normal. Man, we could use a big fat dose of global warming, end quote. Make no sense. But as Trump so unequivocally stated in 2012, quote, 
The concept of global warming was created by and for the Chinese in order to make U.S. manufacturing non-competitive, end quote. In fact, China is adopting renewable energy sources itself at a faster rate than the U.S. Climate change transcends all borders, and so it's time all political viewpoints hop on board to address a changing climate that will adversely affect all of us. I hope that if you didn't agree with this before listening into these two We Are Rivers podcasts, you may begin to agree now. We want you to be a part of the conversation and to share your comments. Tune into our next episode of We Are Rivers to find out exactly how global climate change is affecting the already dry American Southwest. And thank you for listening to We Are Rivers, a podcast series brought to you by American Rivers. Additionally, if you learned something in this piece or enjoyed the series, please rate and comment. This helps others discover our podcast series too, and we appreciate your support.